Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. One more time, celebrate Jesus. <laughs> Woo! Glory! Amen. Glory to God. Have your seats in God's presence like the king and queen that you are. Exchange a very good compliments with your neighbor. <laughs> Ask your neighbor, I hope you didn't visit Tarshish this week. <laughs> As a brother in the Lord in this house who, who has permanently classified the mainland as Tarshish. He knows himself. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. All right. We're going to be getting into God's word right now. And I hope we're ready to receive. All right. Let's begin our contemplation from Romans chapter 12. Father, we ask your word penetrate today. Let it penetrate. Let it enter into the hearts of men and cause change and transformation by the power of your spoken word in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 12. You know, it's a very popular verse of scripture that we all should know by heart. All right. Paul here is saying, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And it says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it says, the outcome of all of this is so that you can prove that which is. You see, that's, that's where I'm really headed. He says, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Over time, we've seen folks, teachers alike, you know, classify this will to be multiple because of how the Bible puts it. So they say there is the good will, there is the acceptable will, and then there's the perfect will. That's wrong. Because by the laws of English language, we can already tell that what he is describing here is singular. He says, what is? What is? Only that that which is the will of God has three qualifications. All right? It's not that there is a good will. There is an acceptable will, and then there is a perfect will. Because this gives the impression that if you miss out on the perfect will, at least the basket of acceptable will will catch you. And at least that's still manageable. No. There is only one will. It's not duplicate. It's one will. It's, not, it's just one will. If you miss it, you are in your will. There is no acceptable, good, any kind of inferior type of will apart from the perfect will of God. The perfect will of God is good. It is acceptable. It's the only thing that is acceptable before God. And it's perfect. Amen. Now, there is the permissive will. That permissive will is not God's will. It's your will that he permitted you to have. It's not like... There is a secondary will that if this one does not work, I have a secondary allocation to give you so that that's called permissive. No. Permissive will is your will. It's your own love and desires. And God doesn't, you know, the Bible says he wouldn't always strive with men. So when you continue to struggle with him and struggle with him and struggle with him, we want a king. We don't want David. We want a king. We want a king. We want a king. We don't want you as our king anymore. You know what? He, he permits you to do your will. And that's the permissive will. It's not God's will. 
So don't get into that assumption that um, at least if I don't find the perfect will, I can find, you know, a less than perfect will that is still God's will, but it's just a little inferior to perfect. There is no other alternative. The will of God is one. Amen. It's one. It's one. Just that that will has good qualities. It has, it's acceptable and it's perfect. That one will is good. It's acceptable and it's perfect. And if you need to understand the meaning of good, Go listen to our teaching on the spec list much earlier in the year, all right? We talked about good, how to define good, what good really is. God doesn't have any greater superlative to qualify anything than good. There's no better best with God, all right? He is good. He's not the best. Because to say he is the best is to put other people within his, <laughs> his region and to say he is better than them. There's no such thing with God. He's just good because he's in a dispensation all by himself. He's not better than anybody. Where God is concerned, there are no remote factors. There's nobody around him. There are no relative factors. He's just good. Amen. So um, it's important that we understand that because one of the things that is a very major theme in the life of Jonah, in the book of Jonah, is the will of God. One of the things you begin to see is that God has a will and that will doesn't change. That will doesn't get to evolve. It doesn't morph. It doesn't change with time and dispensations and with your opinions and with trends and vogue. It's one thing. You either bend to it or <laughs> it lets you have your way. All right? And if he loves you, he will resist you. He would insist that you don't have your way, just like we established last week. Amen. I really want you to listen to these teachings with the heart of your understanding being enlightened. I want you to listen to it. You know, praying that the Lord opens your eyes so that you can see and understand how this applies into your own context. I, I perceive in my heart that a lot of people will find clarity in their lives, in their careers, in their marriages through this teaching. You will realize that you just know what to do. You just have a sense of conviction about what to do, where to go, where to stay. All right? You just have a sense of clarity. There's nothing as powerful as clarity. There's nothing as powerful as it is. You just know that you are at the right place at the right time doing the right thing. It's the, it's the highest level of efficiency as far as your life in Christ is concerned. You know, where you know that you are in the right place at the right time. Not, not Tarshish, contemplation and indecision and lack of certainty. All right? Praise God. So let's go back to the book of Jonah. Amen. Great guy, isn't it? But one of the things I need you to understand about Jonah is that Jonah was in a reprobate condition here. There are a lot of things I could say right now. The Lord helped me just, you know, give me utterance this morning. Jonah was in a reprobate state. And that's, that's the fearful thing. It's a fearful thing. You know what Paul suggests in scripture? He says, it is possible that I preach the gospel and I myself be a castaway. Paul gave that, you know, he, he gave that hint that you can preach the gospel on earth. Get souls saved. And you be a castaway. It's a possibility in Christ. Paul said, lest after preaching unto others, I myself be a castaway. So Jonah was already walking in the periphery of reprobacy. Because this guy defies God to his face. God says, go to Nineveh. He said, no, I'm going to do what I want. And he went to Tarshish through Joppa. And he was in the boat and he had the, the composure to sleep. 
You know, that's what we mostly remember about Jonah, right? Jonah alone, when someone is sleeping. And sometimes we just assume that because we know that about Jonah, we know all there is about Jonah. So sometimes some of those cliches and stereotypes, you know, hinder us from getting into the deep things of a particular character or a particular passage of scripture. Because that's not all there is to him. But that's a striking reality that you can disobey God and be comfortable enough to sleep. Sometimes, I'm not good with my wife, for example, right? We, we had an argument. And I can't sleep. I can't even step out of the house. Because my mind will not just be at rest until we resolve it. It's a sign that your conscience is still active. Jonah disobeyed God. And he knew he was fully conscious that he was in disobedience. And this guy could sleep. Do you know that is the reason why God had to manipulate the environment to speak to him? Because the moment your conscience is now an inferior way of convicting you, he has no other choice than to manipulate the environment to speak to you. He can no longer use the instrument of your conscience. He can no longer use the instrument of your conscience because he really did not give God any form of care. He had absolute disregard and dishonor for whatever God had told him to do. How could God call you and tell you do this and you say whatever you said is in your pocket i will go in my own direction and in my way and he had the effrontery to sleep if you were in the will of god you can go to bed but no way you are diametrically opposed to the agenda of god upon the face of the earth this guy goes ahead to sleep and then in order to get his attention god begins to manipulate the environment and he begins to send a wind to him. And Bible says the sheep was like he was going to be broken. And there was a lot of tempest. And of course, the people in the boat, they were screaming and shouting. And every month your God start calling on your God. And they looked for everybody in the boat. Bible says this guy went down in the hinder part of the boat. All right. And they woke him up and said, oh God, in the middle of this kind of storm, you still have... This level of composure to sleep. And this guy came out and then they began to ask him. Verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea and there was a mighty tempest in the sea. So that the sheep was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the sheep into the sea to lighten it off of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. You know, this, this, I really, I, I almost can't get past this. That this guy could be so deep asleep in disobedience and rebellion. Such comfort, such dishonor. You, you're not good with your boss. You know you can't be at rest. Your boss tells you to do something, you really can't get past you know, not doing it and going about your day like everything is fine. You can't get past it. You've got to get it done first because of the honor and regard you have for your boss. Now imagine I tell you to do something. I'm your boss. I tell you to do something, something that your job really depends on. And then you just go ahead and sleep. And you're not just dozing because you've worked so hard while doing the thing I told you to do. And you slept off on duty. You left what I told you to do. Went about doing your thing. And then you slept off. You were so comfortable in rebellion. You slept off. 
So the sheep master came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou? Because that sleep is saying something. Like, what do you mean? He has not said anything. No. This guy is literally sleeping. What do, you, what do you mean? Are we all stupid here? We are crying for our lives and here you are sleeping. And this is not the sleep of Peter. This is not the sleep of Jesus in the storm. This is the sleep of rebellion. He said, well, what do you mean? <laughs> oh, sleeper. Arise. Call upon your God. If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And said they everyone unto his fellow. Come and let us cast lots. Listen. The God of this world is chance. The God of this world is chance. So if you're here and the thing you rely on for your daily bread is dependent on probability and chance, you're casting lots to survive. Because their own God was chance. Let's cast lots. Let's bet. Let's do things that we can't really guarantee the outcome. Let's let our lives be based on probabilities and chance and ifs. And the Bible says the cast a lot. And the thing about the child of God is this. You're not a child of luck, like Tosin mentioned this morning. You're a child of grace. Anytime you get involved in things that regard luck, it will never work for you. It just won't. Have you checked your history? Everybody's making it when it comes to things that has to do with luck. When it comes to your turn, it will, you will, it will just turn somehow. It won't just work because you're, there is something in your DNA that is grace codified. It's not luck codified. It's grace. And when it comes to grace, it's ordination. It's predetermination. There's no coincidence in God. There's no luck in God. Because it fell on Jonah. The lot fell on him. And they began to accuse him. And, and it's important, the questions they began to ask Jonah here. Because every single time you're in disobedience, what the storms you begin to go through in that season, there's just one question they're asking you. What are you doing here in the midst of a storm? What are you doing outside of the will of God? Where did you come from? How far gone are you from the place that God called you? Because they began to ask him, who are you? Where did you come from? Where are your people? What's wrong? What are you doing outside of the will of God? He's understanding everyone to his neighbor, come let's cast a lot and then that we may know for, for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation? From whence did thou come from? Where is thy country? And of what people are thou? Why all these questions? Why all these questions? Because that's the questions that storms are asking you really. What, what are you doing here? How far gone are you from the place that God called you? How far gone? Because by the answer of Jonah, you could tell that he understood exactly what the spiritual realm was telling him with those questions. Then said they unto him, tell us, we pray thee. Okay, that's verse 8 and verse 9. And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew. I fear the Lord. You don't, sir. You don't. You don't, you see, this is what they call Christianese. How could you fear the Lord? And he told you to do something and you slip off against that will. 
You, di- you didn't sleep off while doing the will of God and you're so tired preaching and then you slept off on duty. No, you literally disobeyed God. And then you come here in front of everybody and say, who are you? Where are you from? I say, I'm a Christian. You know, I fear. No, you don't. For those of you who have, he must fear the Lord on your, on your spec list for the guy. Anybody will say that. But what are they doing? They fear the Lord, but they're asking you to come and cohabit with them. That's not the fear of God. They fear the Lord, but they will hit you when they get upset with you. That's not the fear of God. It's not by saying it. It's by doing it. Do you have reverence for the, for the Lord God Almighty? Do you have reverence? Do you fear the Lord? The secrets of the Lord are with them that fear him. He shall show them his secrets. Jonah did not fear God. Jonah that rebuked God to his face. He didn't fear God. He says, I'm an Hebrew. He says, I fear the Lord. He says, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto them, or unto him, why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. He fled from the presence of the Lord. Remember last week we established that the presence of the Lord is the word of God. Because we didn't see where God appeared to him in some sort of an epiphany. It was the word of God that came to Jonah and Jonah disobeyed that word. And Bible says inadvertently he fled from the presence of God. And so every time God's word comes to you and you're hearing it like this, like I'm teaching you this morning. And then you leave that presence without the intention of doing that word. What you're doing is you have fled from the presence of God. Because Jonah disobeyed God and entered into Joppa on his way to Tarshish and then in God's mercy he sent a wind to sort of get him back on track as an act of God's love praise God but the interesting thing here is this there is a difference between the sufferings of Christ and suffer head write it down (laughs) all right there's a difference between the sufferings (laughs) there's a difference between the sufferings of Christ and suffer head this is suffer head. This is not the sufferings of Christ. Because this is not the only time we'll find someone in a shipwreck. Acts chapter 27 talks about Paul in a shipwreck. Oh dear. But in this context, Jonah was the cause of the shipwreck because he was in disobedience. All right. So this is the kind of wind that God himself sent as an act of God's mercy to get him back on track because he had missed his way. For Paul, he was on his way to Caesar and God had told him that he would see Caesar and that God had given him the people of the sheep. So this was not a Paul who was in disobedience. This was a man on a mission. He was not the cause of the shipwreck. In fact, it was because of him that the people of the, pe- of the sheep will be preserved. Guess what? In this context, because of Jonah, every single person in that ship was going to die. That's the difference between walking in obedience and walking in disobedience. Because there is a cost to your disobedience. You need to to understand this. There is a cost to disobedience. Do you you see what they did there? Bible says they threw away their wares. The things that they went to get. Imagine you went to Idumata. Do you understand that? And then you spent 2.5 million naira on your wares, on your goods, on your container. And then you picked somebody, one miserable person. All right? From the... 
wherever it is, and then you're on your way, and then your ship is breaking. And then you realize that this is not normal. We take this route every single day. This thing doesn't happen to me, but there's, there's a reason why this is happening. Somebody brought this evil on us, and then you cast a lot. And it fell, it fell upon a certain guy called Jonah. And because they don't want to lose you because you're a human being, they don't want to kill you. So what are they doing? That they think that it's because there's too much weight. Ah, yeah. There's too much weight in the sheep. And so they began to throw off all their wares, all their heart and money, their livelihood. They began to throw it off just to lighten the sheep. Listen to this. Nothing in this world can compensate for disobedience. Nothing. Nothing can compensate for disobeying the will of God. Nothing. They threw it off to think that it will get light enough to keep going in the, in the right direction. But no. Nothing in this world can compensate for not doing the will of God. Nothing. It doesn't matter how many things you sacrifice. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 15 verse 22 that to obey is better than to sacrifice. It says to hearken better than the, what? the fat of rams. Because a lot of people are doing that. So you know what? God has told you to stay here, but he said you will travel there. But you know what? You will now start using to compensate your own conscience and to placate yourself. You say, you know what? I'll start giving money to missionaries. I'll start putting money back to PowerPoint tribe. Don't worry. I'll be sending money when I blow and hammer over there. Nothing can compensate for your disobedience. Nothing. You look for the will of God and you do it. You don't try to compensate for disobeying it by, you know, using other means and tactics. So you throw off this, you throw off that, but you are in the wrong direction. You turn around and you find your way back. You don't try to compensate for your disobedience with sacrifice. With sacrifice. Because a lot of people do that. They know they were called of God in the university. They know. When they grabbed the mic on campus, something happened. People were healed. People were blessed. People were edified. They were anointed. They knew that. And they knew that they were supposed to do something about their ministry and the call of God upon their lives. Then they came to Lagos and they found jobs. The jobs began to take them away from the call of the ministry. And then you know what? Five years down the line, they've not done anything remotely connected to doing the will of God. And but, but, but well, they are managers in the organization. And so what do they do? They say, you know what? Let me climb faster and harder. So so that by the time I begin to earn 1.5 million per week or per month, I begin to give about 400k to the church and start sponsoring the things of God and start doing missions. At least let me have some form of compensation for disobeying God. Too many people who sponsor missionaries are doing it out of guilty conscience. It's not because that's what God has called them to do. If God told you to be on the mission field, none of your monies will count in heaven. None. Because to obey... It's better than to sacrifice. Do you think God is foolish when he says to do something? And then you think that there are other ways to achieve the same thing. Don't worry, God. I will follow my path. And then I will look for other ways to sacrifice enough to compensate for what I lost. Listen, the cost of disobedience is not just what you lost. It is what you could have gained as well. So the cost of disobedience is not just the things you lost. It is the things you lost plus the things you could have gained. And the, the sad thing is that you have no perspective on the things you could have gained. You have no perspective on it. Only God has that perspective and it's privy to that. And that is why he keeps insisting, get rerouted back. If I'm insisting to Nineveh, if I'm saying get back to Nineveh, I know why. I know why I'm asking you to go to Nineveh. I know. And then you say, no, no, Joppa is cute, Joppa is nice, Tashish is the best place to be on the face of the earth. And then he sends a wind. And this kind of wind causes storms and shipwrecks that are avoidable. There are some suffer heads you're going through that is not because uh, they're supposed to be. It's, it's a response of the environment to your disobedience. 
And they were sent by God as an act of God's love to get you back on track. There are some that will come without God's involvement. The devil will send you those ones. But the kind of peace you will express in those kind of storms, oh boy, is the peace that passes all understanding. It's a peace that will even preserve the people around you. Oh boy, because when Paul was in that ship, because of him, he was the captive. Oh, Julius and his other guys captured Paul, taking him to Caesar. He was, in, he was bound in chains and fetters. And then there was a storm in the middle of the sea. And everybody was, you know, clamoring and in chaos. And everybody was shouting and screaming. And then Paul stood up in front of everybody. He, he was resisting the urge to speak to them because he was a captive. If you go read it, he said he had the urge, but he just kept keeping quiet for a bit. And then after a while, he just stood up and said, Hey, men and brethren, an angel of the Lord stood by me at night, whose I am and whom I serve. Jonah couldn't say that because he was not serving the will of the Father. What does it mean to serve? To ask you what you want and to deliver it. That's what it means to serve. If I'm a waiter at the restaurant, I ask the people who have come to have a meal, I ask them, what do you want? And then I go about doing the will of the one who has sent me. That is what it means to serve. And the reason why Paul was so confident in his capacity to preserve those people was because he was doing the will of God. Jonah couldn't boast of that. Paul said, an angel of the Lord stood by me at night, whose I am and whom I serve. Whose I am and whom I serve. He described his heritage, but he didn't mention that he served God. Because he obviously wasn't serving God. Whose I am and whom I serve. And he says, you know what? Because of me, <laughs> the captive. Because of me, the captive. All your lives be spared. Don't worry about the things that you have lost. Don't worry. God will turn it around. He will return it in folds. He will make all things work together for your good. Because of me. Because of me. When you're in the will of God, storms will not phase you. You will survive it in grand style. The smell of fire will not smell on your body because you are in the very center of God's will because you know who you are and who you serve. Are you about the Father's business or you are about your business? It doesn't matter how much money you make in that business. Your giving back to the church will not compensate for your disobedience. I hope you're listening to this because they tried to lighten the sheep, but the weight of Jonah was too much. Imagine Jonah's disobedience was weightier than all the wares and all the things that he had gathered from wherever they were coming from. Everything, nothing could compensate until Jonah left. They had just cast the lot sooner. They won't have lost all their stuff. Because the moment you remove Jonah and remove from the equation, everything is fine. The ship is okay again. Imagine all the people that have to suffer for the consequences of your disobedience. Because Adam's sin, we all fell. Because of Abraham's sin, the world has been suffering from the lack of peace and brotherly kindness. Because he went into Hagar to get us Ishmael that we didn't ask for. And now we have to watch the news of people burning people and screaming the name of their God while at it. Because somebody disobeyed. Because somebody disobeyed. There are, there, there, there are huge costs to disobedience. And there, there's not enough calculators in the world that can really calculate the actual cost of a disobedience. Not enough. Because all you can calculate is what you are able to see as what you lost. What about the things you could have gained? Included to what you lost is the real sum of the cost of your disobedience. David's disobedience cost... An army, a brave soldier. Cost a wife, a husband. Cost a child, her dad. 
cost himself and the person he committed adultery with a child as well. Cost him his opportunity to build the Lord a house. Because that's not, you see, when the Bible says there's too much blood on your hand, it was not talking about the blood that he killed on battlefield. That is a righteous blood. It's the righteous killing of souls. Do you understand that? There was nothing wrong in going to fight and defend the integrity of your nation. The blood that was too much was only the blood of Uriah. God estimated that blood and he said, this is too much. I can't, I can't allow you go ahead. After doing this much level of atrocity and rebellious you know, act, go ahead and build me a house as if you were all righteous and perfect. No, I'm not going to allow you. The blood on your hands are too much. Too much. And it cost him the opportunity of building the Lord a house. His biggest dream and desire. His biggest dream and desire. Look at Moses. He couldn't enter into the tent. There is a cost to your disobedience. Because if there is no cost, why would God ask you to do something in obedience? There is something he's trying to avoid you from experiencing. That is why he's saying, do this, not this, do this. And so when you contravene that instruction, what you're doing is you're saying, you know what? I'll fend for myself when the consequences start coming in. I'll be fine. And in his love, he still tries to reroute you. But sometimes you've broken the edge and the serpent may just steal by it. And so it's important that you understand why God tells you to do something. There is a reason. There is a reason. You go ahead and do the will of God. You go ahead and do what God told you to do. You will never stop reaping the rewards of that obedience. You will never stop. You will never stop. Because there is a cost to disobedience. Samson's disobedience cost him his eyes, his power, his strength, his legacy. Every time we remember Samson now, we don't really, it's smeared somewhere. It's smeared. The guy who never really achieved what God called him to achieve. The guy who died with his enemies. It cost him his legacy. It cost him his life because he disobeyed. It's not because God is excited when you disobey. No. He's trying to avoid that from happening. That's why he tells you to obey. So you see that we really don't have the capacity to estimate effectively the cost of disobedience. Best we can do is to calculate what we can see that we lost. But you don't know what you could have gained. That is also part of the things you lost. The things you could have gained. And so be like Paul. Don't be like Jonah. Be like Paul. Be about your father's business. Whatever storms you go through, trust me, you're going to come out on top. Because guess what? He landed in Malta. <laughs> you know what happened in Malta? People were saved. People were blessed. People were edified. People were brought into God's kingdom. This guy was running away from Nineveh. This one was running towards Malta. <sighs> See, wherever the shipwreck happens, where is he leading you to? Is it from your running away to, from Nineveh or in your direction to Malta? Which one? Because every obedience is redemptive, remember? Every obedience is redemptive. Every yes, Lord, is redemptive. When you say yes, Lord, to Lord, it's because he has several people he has allocated to that yes. That is several yeses down the line. You would have saved 10,000 souls somewhere down the line. And you're saying no is also cutting off a possibility of saving 10,000 people. And that is also part of what you lost once you get into disobedience. Look at the power of Paul's conviction. Look at how he was able to get everybody on board and encouraged and edified and believing that, you know what, we're not going to die. Even though we may lose things, we're not going to die because God will let it redound unto him in terms of glory and reward and compensation. Because every obedience is redemptive at the end of the day. But for Jonah, these guys lost the things for life. There was, there was, no, there was no redemption there. 
They just lost those things and there are several livelihoods that are getting worse off because you are in disobedience in that company. <sighs> the will of God is so powerful. To contravene it is, is, you really don't know what you just did. You literally are attempting to twist the fabric of reality. The will of God. Bible says even God, when he wants to do something, he has to consult with the counsel of his will. God doesn't just go ahead and feel like doing something and he does it. He says, wait, before I do this thing, let me go and consult with the counsel of my will. And the reason why the will of God is so unbending and unchangeable is because it has seen everything. You know, it's like an algorithm that never needs an update. So it, it has seen every form of possibilities and factors and variables. It has seen everything. Whether Whatever it is you are looking at as a possible variable in determining a cause of action, it has already gone ahead to look at everything from dispensation past to dispensation present to dispensations to come. And it has come up with a certain decision and route. That you will never need to update or upgrade. Because this is why the will of God gets better with time. Do you understand? So it may tell you to do it today. It may not look good today. But the more you get into time, you realize that these factors that you now see, you factored it into the decision you made five years ago. Because that's what the will of God does. And that's why anything you do to contravene that will, it will lead to regret with time. In the immediate, it may look good, but the Bible says there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. So how about you seek the will of God and stop trying to do things your way? And there is a tendency that men, especially men, have. There is a way we like to feel like we have it all figured out. There's the way we like to feel like, you know what, I don't need to seek anybody's accountability. Men typically are very unaccountable. Very unaccountable. They don't go ask anybody, what should I do? Like, who are you to tell me what to do? I'm a man. Ladies typically are more predisposed to being submissive and accountable because they're wired for that. But a man typically feels like, you know what, I have it all figured out. I should be able to decide what I want to do. Go for any mentorship class. The ratio is 80 to 20. Guys, typically, and that's why we don't have so much communities around men. We don't have so much men's program. Because if you call it, it's only you and the person organizing the program that will show up. What is that? I know what I'm doing. They're logical. They've predicted their outcomes and they feel like they're fine. They're okay. They don't need to tell anybody about their girlfriend. They don't need to figure out. They don't need to tell anybody and submit their decisions to anybody. Who are you? But hey, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him you know you can lean on your understanding but he says don't lean on it it's it's leanable but don't try it because it can't hold up your weight for so long lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and says he will direct your path he will lead you into the path everlasting you need to believe the things that i'm telling you today there is no good in disobedience not one there's no good in disobedience. Do not cost those people their livelihoods. It could have cost them their lives just by disobeying the Lord. So when you disobey God, it's not just, it's my life. No, sir. A lot of lives may get lost as well. And a lot of lives may never be saved. Look at the combination of that. So it's my life. If I, if I want to marry whoever I want to marry, hey, hey, the child you will birth may be dysfunctional for the rest of his life. Can you just pay attention? And not just do what you want to do. Ask God. 
This is my life. No, some people's wares will be lost forever. Some people's lives may never recover from meeting you. What kind of a testimony is that? This is the day I met you, my life never added up. What kind of a testimony is that? Because you were not in the will of God. You were not in alignment. You're like a spanner thrown into the wheel. You just scattered everything. We would have been fine if Jonah did not board this, this fair. We would have been okay if Jonah was not on board. We would have been just fine. But because you are here, everybody has to experience your catastrophe. It's supposed to be for you alone. But because we are here, because we are associated with you, we now have to suffer for your disobedience. The wife, the children, the friends have to suffer because you are in disobedience. Oh, Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. The Bible talks about how that through one man's offense, death reigned by one man to all men. And the Bible says in the same vein, we will receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness to reign in life by the obedience of one as well. So as much as disobedience has a ripple effect, obedience also has a ripple effect. Are you not blessed that Babadewe said yes to the Lord? If Papa did not say yes to the Lord, I probably would not have a childhood of Christian faith. I would probably not have a, 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 you know, a history to call upon and say that was how I grew up in my Christian experience. I would probably not have that. But somebody said yes. And see how many millions are Christians today. Sometimes my wife and I will go through open heavens and I'm just so blessed that this man said yes. So blessed that this man said yes. That he said yes. Look at the consequences of a Baba that did not say no. Or rather that did not say yes. Look at the consequences. Because he may not even know what he's losing. And that's what God is privy to. He sees the billions of souls that will come to him because of your yes. But you will never know that if you say no. You will never know that. You will only see the immediate loss. You will never see the potential loss. You will never see it. It's important to say yes to the Lord. Even when you don't see how it all will, you know, pan out. Just say yes. Say yes. You may not look comfortable right now, but you will come back with thanksgiving. You will say, thank God for giving me the strength to say yes to your will. Are you not, do you think Jesus will get to heaven and be blaming the Father for not allowing the cup pass over him? So you, you, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, I'm your beloved son, your begotten son, and I prayed and you did not answer me. Is that, do you think that's the attitude he will get to heaven with? You will say, thank you for giving me the strength to say yes. Because now I see the joy set before me. I see Emmanuel saved, I see Victoriana saved, I see Abube saved, because I said yes to his will. See the billions of Christians that are believers today because Jesus said yes. Imagine if he had said, you know what, this is too hard. The will of God is too difficult. I beg, let me just stay in Joppa. Let me relax. There's no need to say yes to the Lord. He would have been the only begotten and forever the only begotten. He's now the first begotten because he said yes. Not the only anymore. Not the only anymore. Because Abraham said yes in the quote-unquote killing of his son, God had the legitimate right to invade the earth with such a sacrifice as well. If Abraham had not said yes to Isaac, do you know there will be no allowance on the earth for God to invade with such a sacrifice? Because a man has to let him. And Abraham was that figure that allowed God have the legitimacy to give his only begotten son as well. Because Abraham, a man, did it. Imagine if he said, no, I will hold my son to myself. That's the end it will ever be. It will never become many nations. He will never, never become the father of many nations. You won't be called the seed of Abraham today. Because he ordered a seed that he should have sown. <sighs> Are you hearing these things? All right. This, 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 this may not be exciting, yeah? <laughs> but this is a reason to go back in the place of prayer and ask God, God, am I in the center of your will? Or I'm just doing what I want. All right. And still sleeping while at it. 
You're still sleeping well at it. Hmm. Let's pray in the spirit for a few seconds. Give me the strength. And like I was teaching a few weeks ago at Calm, keep praying, keep praying. The essence of prayer is to strengthen you to do the will of God. It's not to make God bend to you. It's to make you bend to him. That's the essence of prayer. The essence of prayer is not just to give you all you need and just make you happy. <laughs> what a really trivial mandate heaven will be about. That heaven's job is to get you happy. No. Your job is to do the will of God. That's your job. And everything you do outside of that will is meaningless. It's meaningless. I'm telling you the truth right now. Everything you do outside of the will of God is meaningless. You need strength to do the will of God. So Jesus entered into Gethsemane, the place of crushing. And what did you think was getting crushed? Was getting crushed his flesh. Getting crushed his desires and his ambitions and his love for comfort and his desire to stay put and not do anything more than the ordinary. And he prayed and said, God, if it is possible, let this cup pass over me. And then God was silent because he knew exactly what God had said. The will of God does not change. God did not need to give a feedback and say, it's still my will for you to die. Because what he said before is still what he's saying now. The will of God does not change. You are the one that needs to continue to evolve to align with that will. You are the one that needs to continue to evolve to align. God did not give a feedback and say, no, my son, you have to continue to this cross. No, only Jesus' voice did we hear. Because Jesus knew the will of God will not change. It will not change. It is me that needs strength to do it. It is me that needs strength to do it. It is not the word of God or the will of God that will change and then go from perfect to acceptable and to good. No. It is one will and it needs to be done by mortal men. It needs to be done. That will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Every single day, I'm grateful I said yes to the Lord. I'm grateful I followed PD. I'm grateful I said yes. I'm grateful I married my wife. I'm grateful because you seek the Lord to enter into these things. You don't just assume that, well, I like this guy and that's all that I need to do. No. Is that the will of God for your life? It's not some archaic, old school, SU type of thing or cliche. You've got to pursue the will of God like your life depends on it. And if you are in that pursuit, even when shipwrecks happen, you will be saved. And not just you will be saved. More people will be saved because of you. You won't be the reason for catastrophe. You will be the reason for salvation. Because you are at the very center of the will of God for your life. You are at the very center of the will of God for your life. Nothing can compensate for not doing the will of God. Nothing. Nothing. To obey is better than to sacrifice. To obey. He said, no, I will marry him, then I will start praying for him. Sorry, sir. You are already in the wrong marriage. There is no amount of prayer that will make it the right one. How about you get it right before you enter into it? To obey is better than to sacrifice. To hearken, better than the fat of rams. At the end of the day, God would have to only encourage you and say, well, don't worry, there's no marriage in heaven. But you would endure this one for the next 40 years. God forbid. God forbid. And what are the chances that if you divorce, you get a better one? What are the chances? The chances reduce every successive marriage. Go check out the stats. How about you just do the will of God? How about you just do the will of God? How about you just do the will of God? How about you just do the will of God? Just receive strength today. Ask for strength this morning. Ask for strength this morning. Ask for strength to do the will. Ask for strength to do the will. In Jesus' name we've prayed. How did Jonah get to this point? How? 
This is a prophet of God who is now in blatant rebellion and dishonor. How did he get to a point where he could sleep in the middle of disobedience and rebellion? How? Because he kept searing his conscience one instruction at a time. That is how you get into rebellion. That's how you begin to sear your conscience to a point where God can no longer trust on the faculty of your conscience to get you back on track. That's the sign of maturity that God doesn't have to become dramatic to reach you. Because that's exactly how he reached to most people in the Old Testament. He had to become dramatic. He had to make the ground wet, make the wool dry, all of those things just to get their attention. But for you, you can whisper to your heart because it's tender, it's nimble, it is connected to the Holy Spirit. So when he has to use a lot of dramatic means, he had already told you, go to Nineveh. How about he just whispers to your heart and says, it's still Nineveh, can you head to Nineveh? But because Jonah's conscience was no longer a reliable source of information from the Holy Spirit, he had to use other means like people, like the wind, like a shipwreck, like storms. So there are some storms you're experiencing that are extremely and completely avoidable. You don't have to experience them if you would just do the will of God. He would just do the will of God. But how did Jonah get to a point where he had gotten so much into rebellion and reprobacy? He was in, he's watching movies and that movie, for example, has an erotic scene and his heart is telling him, can you turn it off right now? Can you stop that right now? And he says, no, no, it's not a big deal. I can handle it. It's in, you're not supposed to be out right now. Can you stay in and fellowship with me? And he says, no, 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 it's fine. I, I can handle it. It's in, you're in that bus and the Holy Spirit says, speak to the neighbor beside you. I like, no, 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 she doesn't need the gospel. She looks like she's saved. And then gradual disobedience, gradual disobedience leads to a point where you literally sear your conscience with a hot iron. That God can no longer speak to you. He's speaking, but you can no longer hear. Your senses are deadened. That is what happens when you burn your fingers or you burn your hand and the cells there are deadened. You can't feel any sensation anymore. You have been desensitized. So whenever you do not obey in the little things, when God needs to pass a message across to you, he literally has to slap you through the environment. He has to get your attention using... Do you, why did God have to be that dramatic? If you would just listen to him. Why did he have to disturb a whale that was having a nice time? Just to get you on track. Look at the resources that God is willing to expend. Wouldn't it just be easier to just change his will? Wouldn't it just be easier? Just change your will and flow with the tide. Why expend all these resources away from people's wares, wind, water, just to get you back on? Even God is determined by his will. Everything must bend to it. Everything. He expended all those resources just to get Jonah back on track. And I'll show you from other chapters in the book of Jonah... Not sure we'll get to chapter 2 today. All right. How, you see, it's so powerful, all that God is willing to do. Everything he did was just for the possibility of saving souls. Everything he did. Everything he did. You need to begin to see everything in your life in that same light as well. Your job is to save souls. Everything. Your career. Everything. Everything. Everything God ever told you to do is because there was a soul that could have been saved somewhere down the line. So if he gave you a job, it's because it can give him a greater platform to reach souls. Everything is soul dependent. Everything. The Bible says he that wins a soul is wise. Everything. The entire budget allocation of heaven is towards saving souls. Everything. Every ounce of resource in heaven is so that souls can be saved. And so if he gives you something, it's because down the line a soul just might be saved.
to obey quickly. Another thing I'd like to bring out from here is the fact that Jonah seemed to preach in Joppa, or rather, seemed to preach in the boat. But they were not necessarily saved. They still held on to their gods. You need to go and read how the people of Nineveh got saved. I think that's in, verse, in chapter 3. The moment, Bible says, the journey to Nineveh was three days. The moment Jonah began to preach from the very first day, entering into the, the, the city, Bible says everybody, including goats, including animals and cattle, everything under the sound of Jonah's voice began to repent. Wow. Even a message that was not preached from love. Listen, this is what happens when an anointing comes on you by the Holy Ghost. And it is location-based. You need to understand this. He preached in Joppa. He preached in the boat. They didn't get saved. He said, this is the God that created the heavens and the earth. He didn't make everybody say, now let's bow to him. But just preaching the word of God in the place he had been anointed to preach it. Even when he was in disobedience, results still happened. Results broke out. And this is, this is the danger, like I said earlier on. You can be preaching the gospel and things are happening, but you are in the wrong. You are reprobate. These guys were getting saved by their droves. And Jonah was still reprobate. There are people who are preaching, getting people saved, getting people healed. And they themselves, they're on the brink of hell. They themselves. Because, ah, the Lord, I don't want to get into Jonah too yet. <laughs> but there is a correctional facility. The Bible says the Lord had prepared a great whale for Jonah. Let's, re let's read verse 11. Then said they unto him, what shall we do unto thee? <laughs> that the sea may be calm unto us. For the sea wrought and was temp tempestuous. And he said unto them, take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. That will not be your portion in Jesus' name. You will not be the reason for why people are experiencing calamity. You will not be the reason why people are in distress and turmoil. Because you disobeyed God. No. No, you will be the reason why people are saved, even in the midst of a storm. That's supposed to be your portion, all right? Nevertheless, the men rowed hard. They really didn't want to lose a whole human being. They still had some measure of empathy for him. Like, they kept rowing hard. There is nothing that can compensate for not doing the will of God. Can you see? Not sacrifices, not rowing as hard as you can. Nothing. You are in the wrong direction. You are in the wrong way. You are on your way to Japan, Tarshish. It doesn't matter how hard you row. You are in the wrong direction. You got to turn back. There is no compensation for not doing the will of God. It says, nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to land, but they could not. They could not. The men tried. Even with a light ship, they tried. And the Bible says they could not. For the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them because of Jonah. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, we beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee. Let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, <laughs> has done it as it pleased thee. What is all the meaning of all this speech? Because you're about to kill somebody. <laughs> so they took up Jonah and cast him forth onto the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Wow. Everything in this life understands the will of God. So <laughs> why don't you just align? Everything understands the will of God. The trees, your bank account, your boss, everything understands the will of God. I tell you the truth, everything. The sea calms down because they've done the will of God. 
they've put Jonah where he really should be. And everything responded, everything reacted. Everything just said, okay, that's fine, we're going to stop now. That's okay. We have our man. Wow. So they took off Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Listen, this is why you need to confess God's word, because everything has an ear to hear. You need to confess God's word because everything has an ear to hear. That house has an ear to hear. That job has an ear to hear. All right? Everything hears God's word. Every single thing. The sea was deployed. Remember we said last week, God has boys everywhere. Everywhere. So the sea is part of the boys that God has. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is hell. Did you hear what I said? Hell is God's correctional facility. But it's better to experience hell before you go there. So that you won't have to go there. I would explain what I mean. This is what Paul was talking about when he said, I allowed Alexander and Hermanus to be, uh, I delivered them unto the hands of the devil that they may learn not to blaspheme. I'm going to explain something here that many of you may not know and understand, but I'll try as much as possible to explain it. When someone is in the wrong, listen to this, when someone is in the wrong and is doing something really wrong, say the person is uh, really living a riotous life and you want to get the person to be saved and born again, after praying and praying hard for that person and the person doesn't necessarily change his or her ways, your prayers should change. Because most of the times we pray for protection and preservation. But sometimes it's not an efficient way to get people back on track. The only response sometimes that people need to experience is consequences. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so once you let off the umbrella that was shielding them to continue in their wrongs and still not get the consequences for their wrongs, once you remove that umbrella and they feel the full weight of the consequences, they will run back to you quicker than you, they did when you were still praying for them not to experience the consequences. This is what Jesus was saying to the disciples when he says, Whosoever sin you remit is remitted. Whosoever sins you forgive is forgiven. By the power of the church's inter inter intercession. So we can intercede for a people and say, Lord, help, Lord, help, Lord, preserve, Lord, preserve, bring them back. If they are not going to change by themselves, the only thing they may understand at some point, if God really wants to get them saved, is to remove the covering that has been protecting and shielding them from all the consequences that they could have been experiencing over time. And once they receive the heat from hell, they'll run to heaven. It says, so that their souls can still be saved, but their bodies must be destroyed by the devil. Listen, many of the things that God does that looks like, ah, evil, wrong, it is actually and in hope that you will change your mind. The conscience is a very deep thing. It's something that God has to get so deep into you to rework. Because Jonah had gotten so much into disobedience and dishonor and rebellion that a normal conversation was not going to help. God had to put him into a correctional facility called hell. And in those seasons, trust me, you will come back with thanksgiving. You will experience things that, when you, are, when you are saying it, people would almost not believe that you went through these things that you went through. But when you come out, you come out with humility. You will come out with reverence for God. Look at what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was in rebellion. He said, oh, you know what? I'm the reason for all this grand, you know, glory in my, in my kingdom and all of that. And then God said, oh, you are, the, you are the one. Okay. And then God sent him to hell for seven years. When he came back, have you read the Psalms that he wrote? 
he wrote a psalm unto God. Because God couldn't talk him into submission. There is, a, there is something that experience, only experience can give unto a man. And soften his conscience. That thing that was deadened and desensitized, it will open up. It will open up because hell is the only thing that sometimes some people understand. But the sad thing about this experience again is this. We'll get there eventually. Was that Jonah did not repent. Even after going to hell. Listen to this. Listen to this. Anyone, listen to this. Anyone who ends up in hell wants to be there. The thing I'm sharing here are very deep. And I hope you will receive it with an open heart. In the end, at the end of the day, anyone who finds himself in hell, God created several curriculums to get him out while he was on earth. He continued to skip all those processes until he landed in hell. There is nobody that will be in hell that will say, I wish I was in heaven. Because guess what? The rich man in hell, he only was pleading for his brethren, not for himself. He was not for himself. There is nobody that is in hell that God did not do everything within his power to save. Look at the extent God went to save the wicked people of Nineveh. Look at the extent God went. God disrupted stuff, market, stock exchange, war. God will do anything to get you saved. If you refuse to be saved, you wanted hell. That's why you end up there. Because someone entered hell while he was on earth. He entered hell and he left not still repentant. The book of Jonah is the only book that ends with a question. Though now we don't know if he repented. We don't know. And something tells me he probably did not. And he was the preacher of the gospel. And he got thousands saved. This is a book you read with sober reflection and, and humility and somberness. And you ask God that God, if there's any wickedness in me that my conscience is not picking, Lord, help me, help my life. Because Jonah experienced hell. He prophesied in hello. He said all those things. He got out, but he still did not repent. Because compliance is not the same as repentance. I really hope the Lord opens the eyes of our understanding. To hear and understand these things. The anointing was upon Jonah. Anything he said in Nineveh was going to fly. Anything. So when you see someone walking and operating under the anointing, it does not mean the person is right with God. I can preach to you now. You are blessed. You are healed. It does not mean I'm in obedience. Only God can certify that. It's not you. Because God wants to bless you, he will use me to bless you. But I may be wrong with him. God used Jonah's unrepentant preaching to bless and save the whole land of Nineveh. But Jonah was himself in disobedience. Jonah's heart was still not right. Jonah went through hell and still wanted to return there. Kai, how? How? And so when we, when we pray prayers that, Lord, help my heart, let my heart be nimble. You see, you don't know when pride begins to creep in. You don't know when pride begins to creep in because God will tell you to do something. He says, no, God doesn't know what he's saying. You know what you are saying. And you begin to lean on your own understanding. Because in Nineveh, it's the anointing that is at work. It is not by power. It's not by might. It's by his spirit. When the anointing is at work, it's not your skill that is relevant. The Bible says he gives power to the Strong, or, or, or how does it put it again in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30, from verse 29? Can we quickly go there? 
He said he gives power to the weary and to them that have no might, he increases strength. He says even the youth shall faint and the young men shall utterly fall. And the Bible already tells us, I believe in Proverbs 20, 29, thereabout, he says the glory of the youth is their strength. But he says even the strength of the youth shall faint. And the young men shall utterly fall. But he says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Talking about how that when you wait on the Lord, there is a level of anointing that comes upon you that disregards your talent, that disregards your strength, that disregards your human capacity and talents. That it is the power of God that is now at work. Because how do you explain a whole city getting saved? Not one person was unsaved. Not one. From the king. Just because Jonah opened his mouth. Because he was the one anointed to preach that message. Anything he said, people will give their life to Christ. Even if he sneezed. Like this guy didn't want them to be saved. So he didn't say it with love like Jola mentioned this morning. He didn't preach because he wanted them to be saved. He just preached out of contempt. He preached out of disdain for these people. Thinking by himself that he was righteous. You see the evil of self-righteousness. Because you are outside the arena of repentance. And you are condemning those who are already repenting. But in your mind, you think you are the one righteous with God. There is so much to say. I really hope people can see what I'm saying. So when you look at people who are repenting, yes, they may have lived in the world, but they are repenting. They are closer to the kingdom than you who stay aloof. Because the Bible says while they were repenting, you know what Jonah went to do? He stayed outside of the city. Created a shed for himself. A shed of self-righteousness. And he began to watch the condemnation and the judgment of befall Nineveh, hoping that they will be condemned and destroyed. Self-righteousness, hypocrisy. We'll deal with that by God's grace next week. But I want you to understand that when God anoints you, he just needs your body. Forget about every other thing. He will use you. But you don't, you don't equate your defense effectiveness of your anointing to be the effectiveness of your altar, your personal altar. Don't equate the same thing. Don't, 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 don't make them the same. A lot of people, have you, do you remember the story of this man? And I remember, I, I know I've mentioned it a couple of times, Jaco from God's Generals. This guy was so anointed. He was the most anointed man in his entire generation. Literally. This guy was in the same generation with people like Kenneth Hagin. And he would pack stadiums out, literally. He was such a young man, and he was packing out stadiums, literally, back then. And you know what he did? In the middle of a miracle service, in the middle of a miracle service, he would begin to pray and preach. And then in the middle of a miracle service, people are getting saved. Crutches are flying everywhere. People are, blind eyes are opening. People are getting raised from the dead. In the middle of that, he would tell them to stop. And then he would raise an offering. And because he already has done the algorithm, he has done the math, he knows that any time he raises an offering within that period, when people are extremely sensational and emotional right there, he gets the highest level of offering because people are like, what? See things that are happening. Oh my God, I will give one million today. I will give two million dollars today. And then he will raise an offering, get the offering, continue the miracle service. And that was how he was living his life. People couldn't talk to him. He had a very bad, nasty attitude. In fact, God told Kenneth Hagin to go and speak to him and tell him, you are, you are, you are, you need to correct three areas of your life, your, your eating habits, um, your pride, and another thing. I can't remember the last thing. And then while Kenneth Hagin was going to speak with him, and says, your love walk. So while he was going to speak with him, he saw this guy literally 
you know, snap at someone. And can I take him fear for his life? I said, I'm not sure I'm ready to receive this kind of, you know, insult. And then the next thing can I take in here is that this guy is sick. And that was hell. Will you come out of hell repentant? Or you'll come out of it stealing your pride. And as, you know, Jacob was sick, they created a, a council of elders to come pray for him at a particular crusade. And as they called the elders to come forward, the, the pastors, as Kenneth Hagin was going to step forward, he heard the voice of the Holy Spirit that told him, don't worry, he's not going to survive it. And he went back to his seat. And his wife heard him and said, ah, what happened? Why did you come back to your seat? He said, well, because the Holy Spirit told him that he was not going to survive it. This man died. Now, we don't know the, because there's some details you really will never know. We don't know whether he really was saved before he, because that was the destruction of his body, so that his soul could be saved. Sometimes people die early because God, in his act of mercy, doesn't want to keep them long enough for their soul to be irredeemable. So he takes them early, tries to do some sort of damage control with their soul and save what is left. These are the things that God does behind the scenes that we may never really understand how Moses, his body was being striped for. A demon was fighting with an angel over the body of Moses because both of them felt they had legitimate right to it. So the demon came with an instruction from hell that go and get his body. He disobeyed. The last thing he did was to disobey. So get his body and get him down to hell. And then Michael came and said no. And what Michael did was to rebuke the demon with a higher authority. He says the Lord rebuked thee and then he retrieved that body. If Michael had not done that, that body would have ended up in hell. Because there were some things that Moses did that gave hell legitimacy to strive over that body. Look at how long the walk that Moses had with God. This was the guy that God said over him that he was the meekest man upon the face of the earth. And this man really is getting into hell. Moses, the meekest man upon the face of the earth. If not for the rebuke that Michael gave to the devil, he would have ended up in hell. Literally. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. <laughs> These things I say are, are true. <laughs> they are true and faithful. They are true and faithful. When the anointing is upon a man, everything it touches turns to gold. But it does not mean he's right with God. And I wish every man of God would hear this. I wish every pastor would hear this. That you're doing this and then people are falling under the anointing does not mean you are right with God. Your private altar is something that no other person has privy to. Only you and the Holy Ghost. So while you are doing all of those things, people are hailing you. God is doing yimu. He's not, he's not, he's not right with me. He's not right with me. His heart is not obedient. He's not doing the will of God. He's anointed. Do you know about William Braham? Do you know about William Braham? William Braham was so anointed... Oh, God, how can someone be that anointed? This guy had an accident. His wife died on the spot. Died on the spot. Every other person died. He still had some life in him. So people came, rushed to the vehicle, and were just trying to save what was left. And then he asked, where is his wife? He said, the wife is dead. He says, take me to him, or take me to her. A dying man. A dying, almost unconscious man. He says, take me to my wife. As they touched her body with his hand, she came back to life. He was that anointed. He was that anointed. But towards the end of his ministry, he began to teach heresy. He began to mix things that were not consistent with the call of God upon his life. He began to mix it with the things he was saying because he thought teaching was the thing that was trendy. He was a healing evangelist. He wanted to add teaching to his ministry and he began to veer off the path 
righteousness. And sometimes when God takes a man, and that's why it's pray for your pastors. Pray for them. Do you know what the Bible says? The last few verses in Revelation, the entire book of the Bible ended with this kind of statement. You've got to be very careful. He said, listen, if anybody adds to this thing or removes from it, I will yank his name out of the book of life. And who has the highest tendency to yank off or remove? Is it not pastors? So imagine the grave consequence that befalls a man of God who does not do the right thing in speaking the truth to the people that God has committed into his hands. He says, if you think your name is forever there, they won't say forever saved. Eh? Your name is written in the book of life. But he says, when you begin to say things that are not consistent with the will of God, he says, I will just yank your name out of the book of life. These are the people that will come in heaven and they will say, we did this in your name. We spoke to Nineveh in your name. People got saved in your name. People got healed in your name. And Jesus will retort to them and tell them and say, I do not know you, you workers of iniquity. Because the real place that is doing the work is your heart. If your heart is doing iniquity, even though your hands are doing good works, quote and unquote, it is still a work of iniquity that is your status in the scheme of things. <sighs> sober truths, sober, sober truths, sober truths, sober truths, sober truths. The best place to be is to allow your heart to be right and let the anointing take over. All right? Don't, don't depend on the anointing to do what the anointing will do. Because of the people, because it is because of the people in Nineveh that God allows the anointing to be so strong. It's not because your heart is right. Your heart needs to be right. Your heart needs to be right. For the last time, I'd like to give you an opportunity again to find your course. Do a course correction. And just pray. Pray one more time. Two, two minutes this time. Just pray. And say, Lord, help my heart. Help my heart. Help my heart. Help my heart. Help my heart to stay in the right place. Help my heart to stay in the right place. Help my heart to stay in the right place. Help my heart. Help my heart, Lord. Help my heart, Lord. Help my heart, Lord. Can you imagine that Samson was still pulling off gates while in rebellion? Samson was still killing people with the jawbone of an ass after sleeping with a prostitute. Samson, ah! He was still so heavily anointed. And sometimes that can even be the undoing of a man. If the anointing was waning while he was in disobedience, maybe he would have received some sort of sense. He would have received some sort of a rebuke. His mortal bodies would have given way. Ah, Maybe when he tried to remove the gates and his body really couldn't bear up under that pressure, he would have said, what did I do wrong? Why did I go wrong? What happened to me? Maybe, maybe, maybe. But the Lord has so much disconnected the anointing, the faculty of the anointing from the faculty of fellowship. Sometimes, sometimes... The anointing is flowing so heavily, but fellowship is dysfunctional. Ha! Lord, help me. Search me, O oh God, if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the path everlasting. 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 Help my heart, Lord. 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 In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Help my heart. 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 Help my heart in the name of Jesus. Help me to fear you. Help me to revere you. Don't let me fall into the hands of the Lord. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the Lord. It's a fearful thing. It's a fearful thing. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be a victim of that. Help me to get it right. Help me to get it right. Help my heart to be humble. Help my heart to be submissive. Help my heart to be nimble. Help my heart. Help my heart. Just help me, Lord. I can't do this by myself. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 
In Jesus' name we've prayed. You've really not heard this teaching. I recommend that you listen to it again. It's the kind of teachings, you know, <laughs> you know why I like people like Brother Billy Akoni? Because when you think you're balling in your Christian faith, just listen to one tape from Brogbile and then consecration will fall on you. <laughs> and you just feel, you know, you just get it refreshing again because sometimes we, we feel like we're standing. Bible says, let him that thinks that he stands, let him take heed lest he falls. The Lord bless our hearts in Jesus' name. And it will cause this word to be established in our hearts in all truth and in all righteousness. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Are you blessed this morning? <laughs> Praise God. Let's celebrate Jesus. Hallelujah. All right. Let's give our offerings and our tithe. Um, are you seeing brothers? You're seeing brothers. Okay. So brothers, bamboos, please. <laughs> please wait behind to see Pastor Peace after service. All right. Um, let's give our tithe and our offerings unto the Lord. I pray that God makes all grace abound towards us, that we have in all sufficiency in all things abound unto every good work in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for answered prayers. We give you praise and we give you glory. For in Jesus' precious name we have prayed. In Jesus' name we have prayed. God bless your heart. Praise God. Amazing sermon, right? As always, so sobering. And uh, it causes it it a lot for reflection. A lot for, I mean, it's not the kind of sermon you want to, I'm sure most of us weren't smiling. Eh? <laughs> uh, there's need for reflection and a deep introspection. Uh, but if you, were, if you were to title this sermon, what would it be? And the will of God is brought. I, God gave me a title while Pastor was preaching. No, it says, and it was something Pastor kept repeating as, as, he, as he was speaking, and it's uh, the cost of disobedience. Wow, what a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Powerpoint Tribe.